Welcome back to another episode of Artist to Artist presented by Artist Public. As you may know, definitely by now, I'm Nick, this is Christian, and if you haven't, we are absolutely accepting five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. We are openly accepting them. So if you would like to, that'd be really cool. But if you don't, it's cool. You can hang around and we'll dive in. Christian, what is in the news today, my man? This is actually really cool. Um, It's really interesting. Uh, Just recently, I think last week, um, YouTube disclosed that it paid about $4 billion to music companies in 2020. Um, And that includes the musicians, songwriters, et cetera. Um, And what's interesting about that is, you know, probably 10 years ago, the music industry did not like YouTube and their revenue model um, because they weren't people in the music industry weren't making money off of YouTube. Um, But now as time has progressed, it seems that YouTube is a very legitimate source of income for many artists. Um, And I think that applies towards independence. Oh yeah. The, the whole narrative around YouTube has completely changed. I remember I was actually reading an article, I think at the same time, I think a day or two ago. And like the article is literally titled like you, like music's worst enemy is now their best friend. Like how YouTube became the the future of music because and like, yeah, like before people hated YouTube, like when it's funny, cause it actually went through kind of a phase, like when people like Hobson and everyone were starting out, you know, they got famous to YouTube and then it died and people were like, nah, you can't use YouTube. And like SoundCloud went through kind of the same thing. SoundCloud blew up and then they like went out and then a bunch of artists started succeeding again on SoundCloud. And they were like, yo, SoundCloud's the thing. And now it's kind of happening with YouTube now where a bunch of people are starting to succeed again through YouTube. And they're like, yo, this is the thing. I also think it's succeeding though, because it's based on content and, you know, people are able to like get their content out through mediums such as TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that, but they're not able to monetize it there. So then they're driving people to YouTube to like see the whole content because now it actually has like, instead of me having to have a YouTube account, I'm seeing it on other channels and then going to YouTube to like get more information. And I think that's been, you know, a change in narrative across really anybody that's using YouTube. And yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to see that YouTube is, is really starting to become, you know, the music industry's best friend again. And also too, quick note on that is YouTube is considered the biggest streaming platform for music around the globe. Um, yes. It, it, across the board, like they beat out Spotify, Apple music title, like all of the big streamers, YouTube is on top. Um, and I think that the fact that it's revenue model is starting to favor the artist again. I, I think it's something that's really, really cool. Yeah. And I, and I think that's something that's needed. I mean, we were, we're just going through our streaming reports right now and, you know, getting money out to artists. And I was blown away when looking at some of the royalties that, you know, based on, because these all things are based on percentages, um, you know, there was a good amount of artists that one stream is 0.0004 per stream they're getting paid um, in USD. That is a quarter of a cent, I think. A fourth of a cent um, is going out to artists. And that's, that's insane. So, you know, it's really needed that, you know, a revenue model is actually favoring artists. Um, and I could actually be wrong. I think it actually may be four zeros, 0. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. It's like 0. 0.00045 yeah. is like the average. Yeah. Or four it's, zeros, it's got whatever. Lower. It got lower. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it used to be like 0. 0.00014 and now it's down to four zeros and four. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, you know, usually they say like the joke is like pennies on the dollar, but like it's literally pennies on the penny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Crazy. So, <laughs> Well, with that, let's bring in our guest for the day. Uh, Danny Schiller grew up spending most of his time between Barcelona and Chicago and is deeply connected with his Spanish origin. Uh, Schiller's international art is the soothing middle ground between different countries, cultures, and music styles. By combining Latin pop, R&B, and seamlessly switching between Spanish and English on occasion, Danny finds a way to communicate through his music to a diverse audience. He currently has over 70,000 monthly listeners on Spotify with millions of combined streams across various platforms. He is also has a brand new song called Parajitos, Parajitos. I'm totally going to butcher that, um, but that was released June 11th. And with that, let's dive in and let's see what it's all about. All right. So let's get started. Danny, great to meet you. Um there we go. Um, <laughs> I always like to start these things out by just asking the general question of what's your story? You know, kind of walk us through your musical life and tell us how you got to where you're at today. For sure. Well, to be honest, my lifespan of releasing music isn't really that long yet. Um, I basically started seeing Nicole and I, Nicole's in the, in the chat with us. Nicole and I studied together. We both went to school at Brown. Um, I actually didn't start releasing music until my junior year at Brown, which is 2019, which is just a couple of years ago. Um, so that's my lifespan of releasing music. But before then, I guess I'll start um, all the way at the, at the start of everything in that um, my family's from, my mom's from Barcelona, my dad's from the States. Um, and all sides of my family are very artistic, very musical, um, particularly my Spanish side a lot of whenever we're all together it's a lot of instrument playing singing all together listening to music etc um so just from a family standpoint music has always been um, around me at all times and then as I started to get older um whether it's like in temple or in school in choir um there's always music going on and I maintain that the single most influential factor in me being surrounded by music and loving music so much is that I played soccer my entire life. I even played it in college. Um, and th- my, my soccer field was pretty far from home growing up. So it would always be like an hour there and an hour back. And throughout that entire time, it was always the radio playing and I would just be singing along to it. So I still maintain that that's like the number one factor in why I um, love music and why it comes to me pretty naturally. It's because like since I can remember, music was always, especially radio, was just always playing in the car. But anyways, um, then once I got to school, I was, music wasn't even, I didn't study music. I didn't go there for the purpose of music. I went there to play soccer and to study international relations. And I did that. Um, but I was like, like I said, I had done choir and I had done um, voice lessons and music had been such a big part of my life, but it was never like the primary focus of my life. It was more so like an escape, something, something um, fun to do on the side. And then come like my junior year, I, when I got to college, I didn't want to do choir anymore. I didn't want to sing like other people's stuff. I wanted to take a stab at like making it myself. So I did some writing. And like I said, come my junior year is when I actually um, told myself, all right, I'm going to make something. 
And I didn't even know if I was going to release anything, but I was just like, I'm going to take this class that is basically an excuse for you to have artistic projects. And it doesn't do anything besides give you like, it's the same. It's not like the class is like teaching you things um, about how to make music or anything like that. It's more so it just like gives you due dates and it's like, all right, you create your own everything. And all you have to do is these are the checkpoints and you have to have something at that point. You know what I'm saying? So instead of just like doing it on your own, cause I feel like that's the biggest thing with getting started in any artistic project or any, even like a podcast, for example, is just like holding yourself accountable to, or even like with a business, it's like holding yourself accountable to identify what you want to accomplish and actually go through with it. So that was the biggest thing for me in that class. And, um, or the, the, that class was the biggest thing for me in like actually turning the music from like an idea of something I wanted to do into something that actually existed. Um, but yeah, and then needless to say, I was surrounded by a few incredible artists who were fortunate enough to be, I was fortunate enough to have them as like a couple of my best friends, particularly Baird and Will Van Zandt. Um, and they're both producers. They are also, Baird also has an artist project. Will's more of just a producer, but they both influenced me incredibly and taught me so many things. And, um, and yeah, so I was just really fortunate to be around those people. So that was a lot of different pieces to answer that question, but <laughs> somewhere in there is, is the, is the answer. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And, you know, I, I found it particularly interesting about kind of your experience with the international um you know the international aspect of your life in general right like you've split your time between barcelona and you said chicago right Mm -hmm. um so you know in terms of like your music you know when you're out there marketing it you know are you marketing it to a primarily american audience or international audience or maybe a mix of both that's actually an interesting middle ground that I have to kind of traverse um, at all times. And I think the best part about it is that it seems to be most effective when you're not trying to target anybody at all. You know what I'm saying? And for me, um, sometimes like with my writing, I never sit down. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to write a song in Spanish or now I'm going to write a song in English. Sometimes whatever I'm trying to write or whatever the mood calls for, or like the chords that I'm starting with, whatever that calls for, it'll just come out in that way. Um, and like you said, same thing with like marketing or um, if I'm posting a video like TikTok or any other social media page or anything like that. Um, I feel like people, it comes through if I'm trying to be like, okay, now I only want to target this type of person. You know what I'm saying? Instead of doing that, if I'm just more naturally who I am and sometimes I let some English slip out and sometimes I let some Spanish slip out, more people will relate to that than if I were to be like, okay, now I'm trying to target this type of person you know um but yeah i think that's great and i think in addition to just targeting like either side the coolest thing about my demographic of people who have thus far like like fans who have reached out who listen to my music who um you know just follow to have a conversation or whatever is that a lot of them are in a similar boat as i am in that like they might, might have one parent from one place and one parent from another place or their families from Latin America or Spain or just a, a country where they speak another language and they're raised in the U.S. Um, so they have that sort of duality in their upbringing. Um, and I think that's something beautiful that's happening in music today, whether with Spanish, with other languages. It's like language doesn't really matter anymore. Um, a lot of people, I mean, like you have Cali Uchis just had like the number one song for weeks. Telepatia, that song that she had. 
um, and half of it's in English, half it's in Spanish, and people who don't speak Spanish are like Bad Bunny, for example, one of the biggest stars in the world. Like, it doesn't really matter at this point. It's like everyone can kind of relate. It sort of transcends place and language at this point, which I think is awesome. Yeah, it's true. Like, I think, like, there's one song that I, I could not even tell you what language okay. it's in, um, but, like, it's, like, half the song is in one language, and then there's just, in the middle of it, it's just, like, French Montana, just... <laughs> in English and but it just sounds amazing um nature is healing yeah it, it's just like but yeah and like but I also like your approach of and, and this is something that has come across the podcast before like that approach of like I'm not going to market to a specific person and create my music around that person I'm just going to create the music and then like see what comes out of it and because like I feel like at the end of the day like that is the point of music um, mm -hmm, totally. it's creating something that is uniquely you. Um, but on the other hand too, it also goes back to, you know, calling out Nicole here a little bit as since she's in the chat that no one can see, um, you know, she showed us all a video the other day of how, you know, every single pop song in the world that has blown up is like the same four chords, but they're all uniquely different. Um, and so I guess my kind of question for you is how do you create a song that is uniquely you yet may also have aspects that make it successful? Because we do all know like the songs that succeed have similarities, but they're unique to that artist. So like, what's kind of your input? Cause I think it's unique with you because especially because you're the only artist that we've had on that has this unique blend of, you know, international domestic music, totally different genres, but kind of blending them and creating something unique. So yeah, what's kind of your approach to that with creating music? For sure. I think it's twofold. Um, I think f like personally, um, it's related to my writing abilities, both vocally and instrumentally. And then the second aspect is the production side. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I'll start with like my experience because I tend to like to start all of my songs just like acoustic with instrument and voice um, because I feel like at the end of the day, no matter how like overproduced a song is or how like big it is, if you have just like a solid song with three people in the room that you, or, that you can perform for like three people in a room and it's not like super awkward, it's like a really good song, then no matter, like regardless of the production, it's going to be like a good song. So that's how I like to start all my stuff. And I'm fairly new to guitar, um, but I've been practicing so much. And at this point, it's such like a big part of my life that um, I basically start all of my songs, just writing guitar chords or the vocal melody and then building off from there. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll say how, how I make them uniquely like my own while also making sure it's like a good song is the way I like to start because like one of my limitations that I also think is a benefit is that um, I haven't been playing guitar for too long. So sometimes my learning process and my writing process go hand in hand. So I'll like hear a song that I love and I'm like, damn, I want to learn how to play that on guitar. So then I'll learn how to play that on guitar. And as I start to learn those new chords, I'm like, Ooh, this would go well with this other chord that I learned from this other song. Um, and I started learning the, the first style of guitar I started learning was like classical, like Bossa Nova, kind of like jazzy, Latin kind of chords, um, particularly Bossa Nova. I just love the 
you know, voicings and chords that come along with that music. But I would learn those songs and the songs that I love listening to, like on a day-to-day basis, other than those are like R&B, for example. So sometimes I'll look at some R&B chords and then I'll learn some of those like Bossa Nova, like classical chords, and I'll put them together. And I'm like, okay, now we got like something a little bit different here, but that is, it has all of the, my favorite elements from those songs. And then on top of that, I'm born and raised in Chicago. So a lot of my like inherent melodies are R&B, like R&B is what I grew up on. So I'll kind of blend in some R&B vocals with that and keep them, make them maybe a little poppy too. And then lyrically, um, I'll develop it out. So it's not just about like what every R&B song is about or not just about what every pop song is about, you know what I'm saying? And then, then maybe I can throw in some language changes. So there are all these little forks in the road that start with like at the very like beginning of it start with like the fact that I'm learning guitar and writing guitar at the same time which I think is cool so that's the first thing is like from my writing side and then another thing that I love that I want to maintain in my career regardless of where it ends up is that I don't produce like I can engineer myself I can um, track my vocals I can track my guitar I can do whatever but um, at this point production is not a strength of mine and I feel like now right now if I were to like produce my own stuff unless it's like a really stripped down thing like if it's just like guitar vocals and maybe some light percussion like that might work but at the point at the point that I'm at right now if I were to my production is so like terrible compared to my like songwriting and like singing and all that stuff um that I don't really feel like there's a point right now in me producing for myself at least like that's not to say I I don't have to like, or I, I, I can't learn because I can like be working on that. But I'm just saying like what I'm writing wouldn't be done justice by like what I produced. So that leads to me working with other people on the production side. And I talk to this, like whenever I'm having sessions with someone or someone asks me like, oh, do you produce? I'm like, I don't, but I don't think that's a limitation. I know there are a lot of like artist producers out right now. And that's like a really big thing. Yeah. All these independent artists who can do their own shit. And that's super cool. But for me, I love collaborating because of the fact that it's less lonely and that's awesome. Like writing, writing on your own is enough in my opinion, like enough in the fields in your bag. But then when you can be with someone else, it's like, okay, now you're a part of this with a team and it's more, it's a little bit more special than just doing it on your own. But then for me, in terms of like longevity of like career and stuff and trying to not have everything sound the same, I think it's really cool that regardless of what I write, it's going to sound like something I wrote because I wrote it like at its very base, but then it can have like different fingerprints from different producers. So if you listen to like some of my like songs, like the song I just released, Pajaritos, and a song that I released a few weeks or like a month ago, a month and some change ago called Avenida del Sol, they're similar, but different. And if you knew that they were produced by two different people, then it would make sense. But at the end of the day, like I wrote it. So maybe the melodies have yeah. like, like some cohesion and stuff. But the fact that there are different people who played a part in producing it out, um, I think that that's what gives it that little something special that prevents like all my songs from sounding the same, you know? So I think it's, those are the main things. No, that makes sense. And I think, I think there's two pieces there. One, I think it's kind of cool because I think we're at a point now with like due to technology and streaming and you know, connectivity across the globe is why we're seeing so much of this like genre blending. And I think that's making music so much better. Like, you know, a hundred years ago, you didn't have someone producing 
Latin music who comes from a city of R&B. Like <laughs> that just didn't happen because everyone in music was in a bubble. And now it's like, nobody's in a bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be in, besides for maybe Australia, but that if you want to know anything about that, you can go and listen to like two episodes ago. Um, <laughs> but everyone else, <laughs> that was what we learned about Australia. Um, but anybody else, it's really not in a bubble. And there's a lot of cross blending across, you know, demographic genres and locational genres, just classic music genres and et cetera. And I think that's what's, you know, really pushing music to a a new level that people haven't seen before. And, but the other piece is exactly the other side that you said, which I respect so much because I think people hang their hat too much on like, I need to do everything myself. And it actually holds them back. Like, you know, artists need to realize, you know, you could be good at it all. Like, don't get me wrong. You can be Russ. 90% of the time you're not. (laughs) So the question is to get the best out of your career. I think a lot of times we all as humans are, you know, have to figure out what we're good at and what we're not and surround ourselves with people that are good at the things that we're not good at. Mm -hmm. So we can balance each other and create something that is better than just one person. And, you know, I definitely think you, you hit the nail on the head with the production side of things. Um, And, you know, I absolutely love that with that. I didn't really have a question. So I'm going to pass it off to Christian. <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree with everything Nick said, I, I, especially the uh, collaborating with producers part. Um, I, you know, I have always been kind of a fan of the, the thought that, like, in order to make something great, it needs to involve people that have very specific skill sets. Um, and that plays true for music as well. Um, but my question is kind of, you know, for the artists listening right now, you know, who are interested in working with other producers or maybe their producers looking to work with, uh, like singer songwriters, uh, what is your collaboration process? You know, how do you get from point A to point B to point C on and on with these producers? For sure. I guess it differs with every relationship. I guess, first of all, um, I like to make music or just collaborate in general with people who I like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't be working with someone if I didn't enjoy their presence, because even though we are working on creating something, like at the end of the day, it's still like you're interacting with another human being. So like, and it, not necessarily, it doesn't even really have to be friends, although I've been fortunate enough to be able to co- collaborate with a lot of like really good friends. So it's almost like, even though we're working on something, it's also like, we're just hanging out. But, um, but I go as far to say like, you're try- it's a labor of love you know what i'm saying it's not like we're just like editing paper you know what i'm saying or like entering numbers nothing wrong with that but i'm saying it's just a little bit different like if you're making something with someone you dislike it like it might come across as like not your most genuine work you know what i'm saying um so yeah it, it's a labor of love so i'd say whoever you're collaborating with make sure that there's a relationship there and if you guys don't work well together like it's it's no it's it's not like an insult to anybody it's just like okay we might just not have the same vibes or the same um I don't know energies going into this um collaboration but once you have once you're on the same page with whoever it is um I personally don't have one particular way of starting out for example with my buddy Baird whenever he's produced anything out for me um at least before I even started playing guitar he would send me just loops like little 15 second loops of him with a guitar 
um, chord idea. And then I would extend those out to maybe like a minute long. And then I would write to that. And then we would get like a verse or pre-chorus. And then I would send him back literally just me singing over the voice memo. And then he would be like, oh, like I like this or I don't like that. And then he would send me back the loop and then maybe based on what I wrote, based off of what I wrote, then he would be like, okay, I hear the chord progression going to this for the pre-chorus, if you just wrote the verse like that. And then it would turn into a whole song like that. And then once we linked up, then it turns into, then we produce it out, record vocals and everything like that. Um, but yeah, like I said, whoever I'm working with, I kind of like to keep it organic at first and just have it like be vocals and guitar or vocals and just instrumentation, as opposed to starting with like a beat or something like that. Because then, like, if you're creating it off the bat from nothing together, then it's like, okay, then we both know the direction we want to take it instead of one person making a beat and being like, oh, I want to go here. And one person doing the vocals and being like, I want to go there. So that's what I like is starting from, like, scratch with whoever I'm working with. Um, I think that's – and it turns out to be really cool. And then at the end of it all, you have the experience of being like, damn, we really just did this together from, like, nothing to something, which is really cool. Um, And then, yeah, I guess – other places I like to start. That's that's one way of doing it. Is like okay, maybe someone will send me a guitar loop and I'll sing to it, um, or I'll already have the entire song written and I'll be like link up with a producer, like doing the exact opposite of what I just said last time, and link up with someone and be like, here's what I have. But that doesn't mean it has to be that. You know what I'm saying? Like I could have the whole song written and they're like, I like this part, and then I could completely rewrite everything that I have for the for the pre-chorus and or so I don't know why I just said pre-chorus could completely rewrite everything for um whatever we don't appreciate um so again it's like it's collaborative by no means am i like a territorial artist in that i write something or i create something and i think it needs to be like this regardless of what the other person says because there are some people like that and it works for them and it's dope like they really trust themselves like that and they think oh i'm so sure of myself that um I don't want to change this. But for me, like if I'm collaborating with someone, it's both of our projects. So if someone's like, I think this would be better than that, I'll think on it. And usually they're right. (laughs) And whatever they're saying is better than whatever I had um, or vice versa. And we'll we'll make the switch. And it's really, it's really not that deep. Because like if you're working with people you like and you're, and everyone's talented in 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 their realm of what they're working on and skillful and hardworking, then it's like, whatever you end up with can't be bad, you know? Totally. And, you know, I I think it's, you make a good point, right? It's, you know, the creative process shouldn't have egos involved, right? Um, You know, I I don't, I've I've never thought that people with creative differences collaborating, collaborating, Jesus, on a project um, are bad. You know, like if you think something is bad that your producer made, like it's better to just be honest about it and then work together to make it better. Um, and I think there's a lot of young artists that don't realize that. Um, so it's very important to know in my opinion. Yeah. And like, even though I was saying, um, that I'm very open to like differences or to, to different opinions and things like that and changing it. One thing I've also learned and gotten better at as I've, spent more time in the world of like making music, you know what I'm saying? Or like having that as your career um, is that there's no shame in stating your opinion. Um, that, that should never be something that you hold back, whether it's about like creating something, but also like standing your ground professionally, you know, 
if you feel and this isn't this is less with friends because if they're if they're your friend they're probably not going to screw you over but like let's say it's somebody more on the industry side and they say something or they're they're like yeah yeah let's do this let's do that and then you should probably if let's say it goes against what you believe in as an artist then you should just say uh maybe we don't do that but we do this instead you know what i'm saying or like standing your ground and being like um this i'm not like morally okay with this or like ethically okay with this or artistically okay with this like there's no shame in that and a lot of people are totally understanding of that if they're not then you probably don't want to have them on your team anyways if it's yeah. someone who is is not willing to hear your side of anything or bend their bend their ways to whatever um you would prefer you know what i'm saying um but yeah so i guess it goes both ways well that's like i would say you know opinions come out of historical you know, repetition of what is correct and not correct. Mm -hmm. But especially in the music industry, just because something is historically correct does not mean it's correct. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when when Napster came out, people were like, yo, this is screwed up, which like, yeah, it was kind of screwed up. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people lost their things. But like at the end of the day, like it was streaming. And then people were like, Spotify, like, nah, 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 we can't do that. That, that won't work. Then it was like, oh, oh shit, it worked. And it's like the same thing with everything music. Like how many, I was actually reading a uh, article last night about how, you know, a lot of music venues in the U.S. Are, are doubting what, are hesitant on the investment of Latin performances. And then other people are posting like, really? Because I'm bringing Latin artists and I'm selling out every night. So I don't know what you're talking about. And it's because of the historical opinions of like what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Like how many venues are like, I only do bands. That's cool. You ever heard of a DJ for 500 bucks that sells triple the amount? Like there's so many things like, don't be afraid to question opinions because they're deeply rooted in something else. And at the end of the day, you know, the only thing that's going to push us farther, especially in the music industry is questioning those opinions to be like, no, like I'm going to create a song like this because maybe that's what people want. You don't know. So. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the whole like Latin, uh, the whole like Latin artist thing and like venue owners being hesitant about that. And, you know, I think what you said is definitely one big part of that puzzle, but not to get too anthropological here, but I definitely think there's like some ethnocentrism involved with those thoughts. Because when you think oh, yeah. about it, when you think about it, um, you know, the U.S. is obviously a massive market for the music industry. Um, it always has been and always will be. But our market compared to the rest of the world is so small. It is so tiny when you add up everywhere else in the world and compare it to the United States. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that kind of leads me into like the next question is you obviously have dealt with like an international presence your entire life. Um I guess I didn't really have a question for that. I was like trying to develop one as I talked about it, but um, you know, where do you see like the future of like Latin music, especially as it starts to kind of penetrate into American society? I see, well, just to, just to address, address that, um, like you were saying, the Latin market in particular, just like Spanish speaking music in particular is compared to the U.S. compared to any, uh, everywhere else, it is, I'm pretty sure, like, the the biggest. Um, 
like obviously like you have your Drake, so like you're Justin Bieber, your Billie Eilish, like Ariana Grande, those artists that are really big, but I'm pretty sure at least last time I checked, like a J Balvin, a Bad Bunny, a Maluma, like a, um, all, all these Carol G, Anuel, like all these artists, um, at least pre-COVID were going crazy and they were streaming like wait like number like top 10 spotify streamers if we're looking at those like a lot of them were spanish speaking so um that's like creators but then also while there are listeners in latin america and um in spain who are listening to, and in the rest of the world who are listening to music in spanish i i wouldn't underestimate the amount of people in the u.s who are of spanish-speaking origin who are also like contributing contributing to that but even like you know going going to show like like i'm only bringing this up because you were saying like uh to whoever at the concert venues is like uh needs to be like focused towards a more like anglo um audience or like demographic i'm like well then you're missing out on like a lot of opportunities and you're like excluding a lot of people from accessibility to like music they listen to who are in your own backyard that i mean maybe if you're in different circles you wouldn't really know but um but yeah i'm just uh I definitely think that in addition to like the rest of the world, even in the US, there's such an influence um, of like the Latin world that uh, that shouldn't be knocked off by anybody. But anyways, the direction of, of Latin music, I think right now, up until this point, we've seen a lot of um, like reggaeton and then with like Bad Bunny sort of brought in like the trapeton that was like kind of like Caribbean influences and like Latin American influences with more of like a trap sound that's more akin to like the US. But I think now, up until this point, in addition to, to that being really big worldwide in Latin America, like in Spain, there have been like pop, there have been like big pop acts, but a lot of those pop acts are kind of, they kind of stay in that realm of like in their, their countries, for example. Um, and it's pretty like not pushing the, the boundaries of pop. But now with all these artists coming out who are um, like, if you do some research into, or you do some listening into artists in Latin America and in Spain, um, a lot of them are actually making like really good, like R&B music or really good pop music that isn't just like knockoff US stuff. Like they're, they're really, I think it has to do with these streaming platforms where everything is so intertwined now that you could at this point, lived your you could have lived your entire life in like Argentina but you'd have just as much exposure to R&B or to pop or to trap as someone in like LA you know what I'm saying because it's not like what your radio station plays anymore it's whatever you want to listen to and that's what you got um so I think there's way there, there's a lot of I don't think genre corresponds to location anymore which I think is really cool yeah um and I think one of the biggest things in the Latin world is that R&B is starting to pop out more, um, whether it's indie or like, you know, industry like palms, like they're making like good stuff. And then also with pop, there's this whole wave now of like, obviously like indie Latin artists, but like also like big Latin artists making pop that doesn't sound like it was made traditionally in like um, Latin America or in Spain. Like it sounds like it could be like an Ariana Grande, you know what I'm saying? Cause I feel like before this point, there has been a bit of a discrepancy where you're like, oh, like this is pop, but I can tell that it wasn't made for like a worldwide audience who's more so for like somebody in that country. But now, like, for example, one of my favorite songs that's out right now is Todo de Ti by Raúl Alejandro. And if you heard it, 
the only thing that makes it Latin is the language because the melodies and the production and everything's everything sounds like super world almost sounds like as if it were made in the u.s not like that they were aspiring to sound like they're in the u.s but i'm saying like now the fact that you don't have to be an artist from the u.s to make something that traditionally was like sounded like it was made in the 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 center of quote unquote like the center of music which happens to be in the u.s you know what i'm saying like it's kind of nice that all these hot spots are are no longer like western centric or like yeah um u.s centric for the sake of music because it has been so u.s centric for so many years but yeah i just think there's gonna be there is way more exploration and the the main point i think is genre no longer really corresponds to location which i think is really cool yeah that's well i think I, my kind of two like points off of that which is like one you know on spotify drake is the number eight top stream artist in the world and jay yeah. Balvin is 10 mm-hmm. like yeah, there, there's your stats exactly. um and then yeah and i think the other thing is like people also need to like i think it's just a lot of the businesses are here but like just oh, from canada drake's from canada most of the artists in the top 10 are not from the united states yeah they just happen to maybe get paid from the united states but and, like most of them are not. and i might add especially for latin artists like the top 10 right now you said to those guys you have to realize a lot of the like biggest latin artists make a lot of their revenue from like they wait for summer releases because of how big club culture is in like latin america and and the rest of the world is like a j balvin or like these like a bad bunny or like a re uh, something that will be remixed and then played in the club like they'll specifically wait to time out releases so that it's prime like clubbing time so that's why you'll see because of covid a lot of these artists like like j balvin maluma bad bunny etc rosalia they haven't released anything in like a year or like anything serious besides like maybe a single or two or like a little project like they haven't i'm i'm assuming they're all hoarding their stuff so crazy right now and they're about to start releasing like nonstop because they can't t- also clubbing and then also like tours and stuff they haven't been able to tour so it's like why release anything if you're that big and you're not going to make any return off of it through a tour um but yeah so it's just crazy that even after all this time releasing something they're still the top streamers it's pretty cool yeah yeah it's insane um danny it's been amazing talking to you we are starting to run out on time we got a few minutes left no so worries. before i get to my last question just real quick tell us about pajarito okay so pajaritos is this song that i just released on june 11th which is today that's funny <laughs> i was like yesterday <laughs> no it was last night but today um and it's kind of I guess stylistically it's uh an R&B meets like Latin pop kind of like indie sound to it but it's a song I guess lyrically um it's the entire song's a metaphor and when I'm talking about pajaritos which translates to like little birds or like birdies um I'm talking about the image that I have is of like a, a written note that I give to like a messenger dove or bird or something like that and they go and they give it to whoever you send the message to so the whole concept of the song is related to the fact that sometimes when I get, when we all get lonely, you know, and it's the wee hours of the night and you're like, dang, I feel really by myself. I feel down or something like that, especially after um, a breakup or if you're in the middle of something like complicated or something like that. 
sometimes you end up sending messages to people you have no business sending messages to not like anything bad even if it's just like a hi or a hey like how are you you know like sometimes you're like you know what you should somebody if you told that to your best friend they'd be like dude why are you sending that but sometimes you just like, <laughs> you just you just gotta send it anyways you know what i'm saying just the uh just because it just because it feels good but the whole point is um yeah that that whole thing of like you know writing a message and the the, the image of um like me like a handwritten note or something one of the lyrics is pluma en la tinta para escribir unas palabras which is like put my ink or my my quill in the ink to write you like some words and like that and then give them to the birdie and then have hopefully the birdie will land next to you the whole point is that like it's that's not really for the other person you know what i'm saying it's not like for the purpose of getting them back or anything but it's just like if it makes feel if it makes me feel better then i guess i'll take that sacrifice of kind of you know doing the wrong thing but which happens to be the right thing for me. I like that. that. Yeah, I love that a lot. That's really cool. Um, <laughs> all right, last question before Nick closes it out. Um, this can be real quick, uh, but what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone that might be listening to this podcast? Mm. Um, this one's not related to music because I've, or like to the artistic side. Um, because I feel like I've, I've talked a bit about my, my process already. So I literally have a whiteboard right in front of me that has obviously my list of affirmations that I say every morning and some like little tidbits of info, like words that I like to read to remind myself of things. Um, the biggest thing that I have in the center is like my mantra as of late, which is just mind your own business. Um, because in this world of music or art creation or anything, it's so easy to constantly be focusing on other people and comparing yourself to other people. But while it seems like a bit addicting to do that and like be constantly comparing yourself, one, it'll mess up your mental health awfully. And two, all of that energy and time and effort that you spent focusing on other people could have been focused on something productive for yourself. Um, so like J. Cole just said in his new song, he said, envy keeps your pockets empty. So that's my biggest piece of advice is just mind your own business, focus on your own grind and work hard. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Well, with that, remember people, envy keeps your pockets empty. <laughs> Period. <laughs> we can't thank you enough, Dave, for hopping on the show. This was definitely awesome. And uh, with that, go stream Pajaritos. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, And make sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It'd be kind of cool. It'd be really cool if you did. If you didn't, it's okay. We'll still like you. But we'd like you more if you gave us a five-star rating. And we will see you all next week.